Greetings, greetings, welcome everyone. It's Chief Yuya here, and uh, we're at the 104th episode of the Chief Yuya podcast. So um, I want to I want to read something to you that I uh, I think sets a, a, a an amazing tone for uh, where we're at or where things are right now in the world and in the atmosphere and. Um, I'm going to read, um, as some of you may be aware, the uh, Nation of Islam, and more specifically, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, has uh, decided to bring litigation against the Anti-Defamation League. And I'm going to read directly from the final call paper, um, which was this, this particular, on October 24th, they released a statement. Uh, articles, two articles, in fact, surrounding what it's about, you know, and, and the premise for what 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 precipitated um, this pursuit of action of litigation. All right. So in reading it, the title is Let the Showdown Begin. Farrakhan, Nation of Islam, sued the ADL and SWC for violation of his constitutional rights and hindering his mission. Article goes on to read, The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam filed an 11-count lawsuit on October 16th in the Southern District Court of New York against the Anti-Defamation League, or the ADL, its president, Jonathan Greenblatt, individually, and the Simon Weisenthal Center, the SWC, and its director of Global Social Action, Abraham Cooper individually alleging infringement of his constitutional rights of freedom of association and free exercise of religion. The lawsuit also makes a claim for defamation for nearly 40 years. The anti-defamation league here and after the ADL later joined by the Simon Weissendahl center here and after the SWC in violation of the rights and protections guaranteed by the first amendment to the United States Constitution have engaged in actions to hinder Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam from continuing the mission that Allah, God, gave to the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the lawsuit states. The mission accepted by Minister Farrakhan is to deliver the truth taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad that will correct the condition of spiritual, mental, and moral death of the black man and woman of America that came as a result of the 310 years of chattel slavery and over 150 years of oppression and suppression. Thereafter, the document continues. While the most honorable Elijah Muhammad's mission started with the black man and woman of America, that mission has expanded through Minister Farrakhan to the whole of humanity, the lawsuit notes. In addition, the lawsuit alleges Greenblatt and Cooper, as representatives of their organizations, did such acts knowingly, willfully, intentionally, with actual malice and under the color of law. Color of law refers to the appearance of legal authority or an apparently legal right that may not exist. The term is often used to describe the abuse of power under the guise of state authority and therefore is illegal, explains law.cornell.edu. The lawsuit seeks damages of $4.8 billion. The lawsuit demands a trial by jury and alleges that Greenblatt and Cooper, through their organizations, have for decades labeled Minister Farrakhan as an anti-Semite, anti-Semitic, promoting anti-Semitism, a hater of Jews, and even as a black Hitler, all without proof. Such relentless false labeling, the lawsuit states, has had a damaging and chilling effect on those who would support Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam and has hindered the minister in his calling and mission. For over 90 years, the Nation of Islam, under its founder, Master Farad Muhammad, Allah and God person and the great Mahdi, is eternal leader, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and their servant, the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, have worked and labored tirelessly in the mission to resurrect, redeem, and reform the black man and woman of America. 
centuries of slavery, suffering and death, decades of abuse during Reconstruction, Jim Crow and beyond enforced by federal, state and local laws have impacted several generations of black people in the United States. In scripture, it is prophesied that God would come and choose the rejected, unloved and despised and they would be his people and he would be their God. Is there any people more despised, more rejected, more unloved than the black people of America? The minister asked during his Savior's Day 2019 message, a Savior is born for the black man and woman of America. His teacher, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, who was taught for three years and four months by Allah God in the person of Master Fa'ad Muhammad, taught Islam to black men and women in America, first in the Detroit area called Black Bottom. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad stated in his book, Message to the Black Man in America, why Islam is key in the chapter entitled Islam Dignifies. Mr. Muhammad explains in part that Islam is the natural religion and way of life for black people and it dignifies the black man and woman, giving them the desire to be clean internally and externally and for the first time to have a sense of dignity. He also states that Islam makes black people love and know one another. However, at every turn since its inception, the nation of Islam has faced targeted opposition from the U.S. government and other entities, including the ADL and SWC. The 72-page lawsuit meticulously lays out the allegations leveled at the ADL, Greenblatt, SWC, and Cooper over the years. The lawsuit alleges the ADL and SWC use such labels as anti-Semite, singularly to mean anti-Jewish or anti-Israel, when the word Semite refers to the diverse group of people who speak specific languages in the Middle East. Greenblatt and Cooper know that falsely labeling someone as anti-Semitic is a trick to manipulate, to punish, and slash or to unduly influence others to stay away from saying and slash or doing anything critical of the ADL or its interests, the lawsuit alleges. Lawyers for the Nation of Islam point out that the ADL and SWC have painted a picture of Minister Farrakhan as a hater of Jews, despite following his every word over four decades. The ADL has produced numerous documents, including Farrakhan in his own words. The document maliciously accuses the minister of anti-Semitic rhetoric, yet never recounts the innumerable times he has acknowledged Judaism as a revered religion of God and his respect for the Jewish faith. The ADL did not in their documents acknowledge Minister Farrakhan's many requests for dialogue with Jewish leaders. Both the ADL and SWC have used their influence to cause damage, not only to Minister Farrakhan's persona, but also to his and the Nation of Islam's ability to conduct business and establish friendships. The legal filings brands the ADL and SWC as un-American organizations that have woven themselves into the fabric of the U.S. government in general and into local governments within America to advance their interests that are un-American. The SWC demonstrated its control over media outlets when in 2018 its founder, Marvin Eyre, directly caused the streaming service Netflix to prevent the showing of a documentary on Minister Farrakhan's life and music. The SWC later boasted on its website how it exercised influence over another media outlet, causing it to cancel the broadcast of Minister Farrakhan's July 4th, 2020 message entitled The Criterion. The SWC published a report titled The 2020 Top 10 Worst Global Anti-Semitic Incidents, where it defamed the minister as America's godfather of anti-Semitism. In addition to being falsely branded an anti-Semite, the lawsuit alleges the ADL acts under the color of law 
by its ability to directly request and receive millions of taxpayers' dollars to fund its organization and promote its programs. In 2022, the lawsuit notes the Office of Management and Budget received from the ADL a letter requesting funding in amount of $1.5 billion. The ability to demand large sums of money and receive it in a matter of days is a quintessential definition of direct nexus and a symbiotic relationship with the government, the lawsuit says of the nonprofit ADL organization. What makes the request even more extraordinary is that at no time should any request for funding be made directly to the Office of Management and Budget unless it is a government agency, according to the lawsuit. While posing as a friend to numerous civil rights organizations, the ADL worked jointly for decades with the FBI, conducting illegal surveillance and monitoring of these organizations. The lawsuit continues. The ADL admits it trains new FBI special agents and intelligence analysis and works with local law enforcement. As such, the lawsuit says it functions as a governmental actor that can be held liable for violating a person's constitutionally protected rights. The pattern in history of the ADL's nearly 83 years of illegal surveillance and data gathering on groups and in persons in joint action with state and federal law enforcement agencies to be used for targeting groups whose views or policies the ADL disagrees with is at the most egregious levels of the violation of constitutional rights as secured by the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the lawsuit argues. The false charge by the ADL against Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam started in 1984 when a minister came to the aid of Reverend Jesse Jackson in his first run for president. The ADL and other Jewish groups targeted Reverend Jackson as an anti-Semite and the Reverend received threats to his life. Minister Farrakhan stood to warn Jewish detractors not to bring harm to Reverend Jackson or his family. The minister would criticize the behavior of some Jews in the U.S. and the unjust acts of Israeli Zionists against the Palestinians. From then on, he was branded falsely as a black Hitler by Nathan Perlmutter, then the executive director of the ADL. And over the years, the minister was labeled as the number one anti-Semite in America. As an anointed and appointed servant of God, Minister Farrakhan has extended an olive branch to Jewish leaders for decades in efforts to engage in a dialogue, but his overtures have been rejected. In part 18 of his 58-week 2013 lecture series, The Time and What Must Be Done, Minister Farrakhan rhetorically states, Louis Farrakhan, an anti-Semite, he continues by breaking down the prefix anti. Well, if someone is anti, they are opposed to. They are against the definition of anti. The adjective means a person opposed to a particular policy, activity or idea. The minister explained, we, the nation of Islam, are opposed in that sense to a wicked policy against our people. We are opposed to a wicked activity based on the idea of white supremacy. Yes, we are opposed to that, but you can never find since I have risen by the grace of God to rebuild the work of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, not one white person that has been harmed by us and not one Jewish person, nor one black person that has been harmed by us, the minister said. So how will you make us haters when there is no deed that demonstrates hatred? We are beyond that. But are you? It seems to me that your hatred of Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam is driving you crazy. Everywhere we go, we find that you've been telling lies, telling on us that before we even get there. Every place that we leave, here you come, telling lies, following us up. And that is why, out of the Spirit of God, we call for a showdown. Again, that was an article that was uh, written in the final call. And the, the complaints and the exhibits for the complaint that's been filed can be found on the Nation of Islam's website, noi.org forward slash NOIVADL, 
which of course is Nation of Islam versus the, the ADL or Anti-Defamation League. And you can uh, go on the site and, and get more information as to the nature and, uh, you know, of course, the progress of that litigation. So there's a, there's a few things. First, I think this is beautiful. I think this is beautiful, you know, that after all these years, this has finally been addressed. And, of course, it's it's done on the 28th anniversary of the Million Man March. So they filed the paperwork August, I'm excuse me, October 16th and being the 28th anniversary of the Million Man March or also what, what was called the Day of Atonement. So I think it's beautiful that... Um, the Nation of Islam has mobilized their their law team to address this 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 rift and this issue that has been going on for so long. And for those of us who also understand the significance of controlling language, you know, when you get to a place where anytime you're hated because you are speaking the truth, uh, one of the ways to shut that down or to classify you very quickly is to control what you are able to say. You know, no different than many social media platforms. You know, we know that there are certain words that will trigger um, within the platform and you, your station could be, your channel could be taken down or your video could be taken down. It could receive a strike. There's all these sort of things that can happen because you used a word, even if you used it in a context which wasn't, which wasn't, you know, if you didn't use it in a way that was injurious or a way where you're seeking to assault someone else. But it's very interesting because it goes and it tends to go in one direction. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to play another clip in a moment and kind of show some of that. But this is very powerful because I think something's going to happen now. Either. You know, they're going for five billion dollars. But regardless of what happens, um, it's going to wake people up to a very, I would say, a simple thing. <laughs> and that simple thing is the, the concept of being Semitic. You know, what is Semitic for for so long? You know, and, and, and let me say this. It was very intelligent the way the nation of Islam the Minister Farrakhan have presented this this um, this lawsuit because it's directed at individuals. It's directed at an organization. He's not saying the Nation of Islam versus the Jewish Americans. He's he's pointing out specific. It's it was very brilliant the way he did that. Very or they did that. Very brilliant approach to say no. We're going after the ADL. <laughs> No, we're going after this particular, you know, rabbi, this president, you know, but we understand the greater implication there. Very, very brilliant um, strategic move, you know, but this concept of of Semites, who's a, who's a Semite? You know, that's a that's a language classification, first of all. Um, for people who are in a certain region and among those regions, one of the Semitic languages is Arabic. So to be anti is to be opposed to against. And if I am a part of a group that adheres to a revelation of a, of a spiritual knowing and culture that, you know, later became known as Islam, then the Semitic understanding would be within or, or over my religious leaning if I am a Muslim. So how could I be anti myself? You see, but when you, when you're able to control language and create an environment where individuals become very afraid to say the truth, then you're able to dominate. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting, militaristic tactic. When you think about Hamites or Semites or Shemites, really Hamites or Shemites, there is no historically, there is no question as to what they were originally ethnically. 
you know, they were Moors or what some of you refer to as black. Abraham was a black Shemite. I'm using the word black, you know, conceptually here. And Abraham was a descendant of Shem. You see. Abraham was black. Shem was black. So you have three um, individuals that exist uh, as far as we look at, as far as the Israelite patriarchs being, or Hebrew patriarchs being Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac, and or Jacob or Jacob. Jacob, he had 12 sons, which later became the nation of Israel. But Abraham is the father of the Hebraic nation, but he's also the father of the Israelite nation, or rather the Israelite nation and the Arab nation. Because Jacob, or, or rather, excuse me, Abraham, is the father of uh, um, Ishmael, who later went on to create what we know to be as the Arabian nations. And the Arabian nations were a conglomerate of, they were basically, or not even basically, they were, they were Hamite uh, Egyptians. There was an interweaving, you see. When you have Abraham and you have Ishmael, you know, there was a time where there were there was an issue. If you read the story, for those who are not familiar, there was a problem between Hagar, who was the maidservant of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. And Hagar had Abraham's son, Ishmael. And due to this problem, Hagar left Abraham's house. She fled. She escaped. And she went into the wilderness. And it was understood that Ishmael married uh, an Egyptian woman. Or what we would have called a Hamite. And he brought forth 12 sons. It was prophesied that he would be the father of a great nation. His sons were Nafish, Mishma, uh, Kadima, Jetur, Tima, Kedar, Abdil, um, uh, Mipsam, Nebahoth, Hadar, Massa, and Duma. Okay, those were the 12 tribes, if you will, of Ishmael. And they lived along the area, along the Red Sea, um, coming from the, uh, from the Euphrates, Euphrates to the Red Sea. That's called the uh, Arabian Peninsula, uh, which today is called Arabia. These were, quote-unquote, Black people. <laughs> These are black people. Their mother was a black Egyptian, a Hamitic Egyptian. You see, and we understand these things when we even look at um, uh, the 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 story of 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 Joseph and his ten brothers, and when he they take him into Egypt, and you know he's not recognized when they come back to return to buy to buy food for him. They believe he's just any other Egyptian, right? So that concept even there, well, how could you believe he was just any other Egyptian? If he, wouldn't he have looked different, you know? Um, but these were Israelites, Joseph and his brothers. So that would, you know, by reason say, well, I guess what well, the Israelites were black. You see, we even have stories about the sons of Yaakov or what we call Israelites, where they took on black Canaanite women to marry. So if the ancient Israelites were not, or Shemites, were not black, they were after they intermingled with the black Canaanites. (laughs) They were then. (laughs) Okay. So this concept of, you know, um, Shemitic is, it's, uh, it's a really slick one, you know, in terms of thinking that Shemitics or, you know, a Shemite or a Semite was not or is not a black person. You even read in the book of Leviticus, the second chapter, where it speaks about leprosy and the skin turning white. Right. So, you know, if you were considered already lighter toned, you know, turning white wouldn't seem like such a, uh, um, a stark 
disease. You read that in Daniel 7, 9, where it speaks about um, I beheld to the thrones were cast down and the ancient day of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and his hair was as p- pure wool and his throne was like a fiery flame and his his wills is burning fire. You know. So the, the God of the universe of the ancient of days who sat on the throne, he had hair like wool. You know, as they described it. As Daniel saw it. You know, but I mean, this this concept, again, it's just it's just too it's just way too much evidence to show that even like your your early Dravidians um, in India who were we were the people. These were the people, the original Israelites surrounding the Middle Eastern area earlier. The early Dravidians who were the original inhabitants of India were black people, the Kushites, who um, we know today as Ethiopians. You know, they were in that Mesopotamian valley, you know, and then Abraham and, and, and Ishmael married African women, Egyptian women. You see, the, Can- the Canaanites, they were a part of the African nations and those ancient Isra- Israelite men intermarried with those Canaanite tribes. You see, this, this, this is too much. <laughs> so, you know, when you're, when you're controlling the language in that sense, um, you really are able to control a certain perception and you can lock down someone coming to an understanding or revelation of a particular thing. You know, and I think it's such an interesting time, you know, with the eruptions going on right now in Palestine that we start to or we continue to look at the language of certain into people. You know, and begin to ignore certain terms, you know, that maybe have been placed upon a people by way of Western scholarship or what they may call academic research. You know, because there's when you have certain classifications put on, a lot of them are just not correct. It again, it it creates this this um this sort of clouding, you know. Uh, terms like pygmies, terms like oh that's a black African over there, <laughs> or savages, or far forest people, jungle people. Uh, there was a term they used to use, uh, savanna people, um, uh, natives, nilots, you know, even Hamites to a degree. If you really understand what a Hamite is, you know, there's there's always been this very interesting interlacing between knowing clearly what certain words were, but if you're not able to be aware of who is basically giving these terms and shutting down this language, you won't understand what's happening. When you look at the the concept of what we might call a a liberal white Jewish person, sometimes we separate them from a liberal white Christian. And we may say, okay, well, this person's a Semite, they're Semitic, or they're they're white, or they're Jew, but we don't understand what they, in America, they have the same culture and the same beliefs, you know, as a white Christian, or, or, or as an atheist, or whatever, when it comes down to how do we deal with the, with the black problem? <laughs> how do we deal with the problem of black people? It's going to be pretty much the same um, result. And like you have... Like I said, it's an interesting time because I mentioned this in a recent teaching in my house, uh, you know, the house of Yuya and uh, within our new nation. I was saying, you know, people who have been historically seen as the dominating aggressors are now being painted as um, victims. You know, there's this this state of Israel or, or and there's this Palestine um, where there's these these clashes that are going on. And if we don't understand what originally was happening there or who was there, we don't, we won't really understand even the, the absurdity of some of the conflict, you know, and part of it is because a lot of us, we get trapped and locked into various forms of the religions that we were conquered by. You see, um, sick, toxic forms of Judeo Christianity, sick, toxic forms of, of um, Arab-centric Islam, you know, where you're getting this understanding from Talmudic Judaism, 
And for the most part, a lot of Talmudic Judaism comes out of Nile Valley civilization. You know, something as simple, you know, we know that before Abraham was called, was called Abraham, he was called um, Abram or our Abram. You know, in your Hebrew, your V's and your B's are interchangeable. Avram. But Avram itself, I mean, that's a that's a comedic term. Right. So sometimes you see this leaking in in different ways and you got to try to figure out well, who leaked from who, who got what from what. And that's a that's an important. Um, that's an important, miss, you know, mission to go on when you look at names like Canaan. You know, or the Canaanites, you know, they were exterminated. This was a genocide, no different than the genocide you're seeing right now in Palestine, because what's being attacked over there are civilians. They're having their food cut off, their passage cut off. But these are civilians. Well, the same thing happened in Canaan with the black Africans who was who were there. This was a Holocaust that no one speaks about. But this was a Holocaust. You know, so, yeah, the curse that, that they, they were cursed as, a, you know, as a result of Noah's act against his youngest son, who was Ham. You know. So when you see issues happen with Canaan, it's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, they're cursed people. That, we know why that happened. And you're not sometimes understanding that there is extreme measures that people go through to protect or to cover up their plagiarism. You know, and to cover up their stealing of a of a culture and stealing of a history, you know, they'll flood whole areas <laughs> to cover up what they have done. You see, you have high cultures like the Twa people or the Hutu people who had circumcision and fertility practices. These were. um these were practices that we see in ancient Hebrew law. And, in, and of course, we have to figure out, like, well, wait a minute, were these people what we would consider to be ancient Hebrews? Or are we creating this separation between the Hamites? You know, even though we know we were told, OK, you'll be scattered throughout all the nations. So we'd have to understand that they would be Hamitic Hebrews, you know. But. You know, nonetheless, there's, there's so much that I could kind of speak on with that. But when you're looking at the term Shemite or Shemitic, the, the Shemites, plain and simple, are black people. So I think this is a this is an excellent opportunity. Uh, this also brings forth an excellent opportunity. For me, you know, like I said, regardless of which religion, it gives you an opportunity to take a look and say, what's the problem? You know, and to, you know really reexamine, um, are they Shemites? Are they not Shemites? You know, let's look at some of the terminology that we tend to use. And this is all a part of a of a very interesting explosion that's coming forth. And language is a part of that war. You know, when you get people to start seeing themselves and understanding themselves a bit different. You know, and also understanding that the roots of some of their true spiritual practices are rooted in their ethnicity. I've often said, often said that what I knew, you know, we, I knew we're dealing with a, um, a spiritual root and a spiritual core, core that's relevant to who and what we are as a people. You see, that's relevant to that. And the practices that we engage in describe us and work for us as a people. You see, we don't have this ambiguous relationship with, you know, Sky daddies, but you know, making things very clear, you know, making things very plain. There were what we would call Hebraic people in Tameri, Tanahisi. Tameri is what you may call as ancient Egypt. Um, Tanahisi is Nubia, you know, um, Bunyoro. Bunyoro is the ancient name for Uganda. You know, or Punit, which is the, the word for Kenya. These are all people, these places where there's Hebrews. You know, uh, you have the Falashas. 
Okay. And many will say, oh, the Falashas, these are the Ethiopian Jews. They converted. <laughs> no, these are Shemites. These are Shemitic people. You know, they're speaking Amric. Amric is so close to, to Arabic. You know, it's, these are, these are Shemitic people. So close to Hebrew even. You see. These are Shemites, you know, these Falashas. And, um, I mean, Dr. Ben was a Falasha, according to, you know, what he shared about himself. You know, um, you know, so there's, there's so much proof, like I said, that takes you to a space where you realize, like, man, um, you're not getting all the, the information. You see, I mean... Here's one thing, man. They used to have in the um, Falasha communities in Ethiopia where um, all all non-Jews would have to leave a Falasha community by sundown. That was a part of their laws of cleanliness. You see, and there were certain mitzvahs or ritual baths they would take and things like this. But these would be people who you would look at and you would look at and say, oh, they're, they're Africoid or they're Hamitic. But... There's a there's a fallacy that's rife with the concept of Semitic as it's presented to us today. And that's worth. um, Yeah, that's worth looking at, man. You know, especially when you have. Certain Jews who are. Then giving the stamp of approval to like the Falasha uh, community. I mean, I think that around 1973, some of the rabbis started saying, "Okay, we officially recognize you. As Jews or Yehudim, you know, that's just not, um, it's kind of preposterous when, when you think about the age of these people and how long they have been engaged in these practices, you know. So, yeah, this is, this is a very interesting time and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see um, where this is going to go. You know, the Nation of Islam's legal team is no joke. <laughs> they are no joke. When they take on a, a task, man, they they win. They go to completion. You know, so it's going to be very interesting to see some of the things that may come out. And, you know, they, they, they created uh, or they made all the discovery public so that, you know, anyone could, could look. The people can look and see what's going on. You know, but this is an excellent time. You know, the things that are going right now, there's a breakdown of certain institutions. Certain things have run their course at this point. They've just run their course, you know, and there's there's a shift of power. Like people keep talking about the wealth transfer. There's another kind of transfer that's happening right now, and it's the transferring of power and information. You know, you look at so many old African words, man, and you realize, like we talk about, again, Amharic. Amharic. It's a Semitic language. You know, um, Ethiopia, which in scriptures in Muslim or Islamic in Christian and Torah was known as Kush. But this was also known as the land of Torah. Torah. Ethiopia. You know, so there's like these different ideas. Um, then you have even like a Falasha, Falasha language. That's a um, it, it comes from geese, you know, which is very ancient. You have Bibles written in geese. But again, another and it's mainly used to, for worship. But another Semitic language, the Kahin. Kahin is a word in, in, in um, Amharic and it, and it deals with a priest. Well, in Hebrew, you have the Kohen. You see, but we're talking about a much more older word, um, Orit. Orit is the the Falasha word for Torah. Orit. You see? So now these are not people who were converted in. <laughs> they were not converted in. That's a that's a very slick sort of uh fallacy that one could predict there. You know, um Yeah, so this like I said, this is gonna be an interesting time just to see what comes out and what comes up. And you know, some of us, like I said, man, we've been studying this stuff for years, I, years, years and years ago. I want to say in the late, late 80s, I think I read um, Dr. Ben's book, uh, We the Black Jews, 
It's a real good book, Dr. Ben's book. Um, there was also a book by, oh, I read a bunch of his, uh, Rudolph Windsor. And Rudolph Windsor, he was the one who wrote um, From Babylon to Timbuktu. That's another good one. But you can also check out, uh, uh, well, he's got other ones like Valley of the Dry Bones. It's pretty good, too. Now, some of his stuff is a little off, like in From Babylon to Timbuktu. Uh, as far as his, like, it, some of it is a little bit of a stretch, but a lot of it is, is good. It's good stuff. You know, and all of this stuff, and, and I'm not <clears throat> knocking any of the new information that's come out at this point in terms of the original, um, positioning of, of those who would be considered Moorish, you know, or those who would be considered Hebrew and, you know, some of that, that history. Um, there's a lot of great new information that's coming out that's free. You could just, it, go right on YouTube and, and watch videos from videos. But um, it's I think it's hard for some people to imagine sometimes like people have been talking about this for a long time. The black Jews for a long time, you know, it's, it's similar to when sometimes people say, oh, chief, you talk about Hebrew stuff a lot now. And it's so funny because I was the other day I was I found an old video of mine floating around on YouTube and it had um, the Tetragrammaton as the thumbnail. And I kind of laughed to myself. <laughs> and that that video was probably from like 2012, 2011, 2012. Um, and I'm saying, no, I didn't I didn't just start talking about this. No, I've been talking about this for I've been talking about this since the 90s. <laughs> you know, this is not new. You know, the Moorish Hebrew, that's been a, a topic that I've been covering for a long time, you know. But um, sometimes people want certain things, and they, so as a result, they only hear certain things. But, you know, much of my journey went from a, a lot of the Yoruba of, you know, Nigeria and, and what they call like the Yoruba Hebrews. You know, in, in Nigeria, they used to call them Emoya Kuam. A emo no emoyo 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 kuam, and that means strange people, you know. And or another name, you would ask them like, "What's your name?" I met some of them. They they called themselves Bene Ephraim, and Bene means like sons of, and Ephraim is one of the tribes. So they recognize like this is in this is in Nigeria way back oh, twenty years ago. They recognize like yeah. We're, we're the tribe of, of Ephraim and they, they, I remember them talking about how like, yeah, man, we came through, um, Morocco, you know, and some of them would speak Arabic. So, because, and the reason I'm meeting them because people would call me Baba when I was there and a lot of the Arabs, they use the term Baba. So people thought I was, I was Muslim because of the, you know, say, oh, Baba. You know, and that's how I ended up linking with them. Like they call they or they usually call a lot of times their their fathers Abu, and the mothers are Yaba, you know, um, or 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 Abu. Sometimes no Abu and Yaba for fathers. Sometimes they say Um or Umi, Umi for mother or Ima for mother. But Hebrew is Ima, Umi Ima, <laughs> you know. So. I've been I've been rubbing shoulders or like they say with um, African Hebrews um, since the 90s in Africa. So it, this is not really new information. But, yeah, you had incidents with like Kylie Irving, Kyrie Irving and Kanye West and um, um, Negroes to he or Hebrews to Negroes, Negroes to Hebrews, you know, um, things like that. And those books that came out and. um there's been a resurgence, which I think is great. And what the Nation of Islam is doing is is awesome as well, you know, and bringing uh, I think it's going to bring a lot of historical evidence forth, you know, and it's going to really at some point it's, you're going to have to talk about those who were sold into captivity, how how Israel, you know, Judah was 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 sold into ap- captivity, you know, and what that turned into. And what it is today, you know, I think those things are going to come forth and it's, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting, you know, especially you have so many people who go back and forth now to the continent. Ghana is a hot spot for that. Well, you can't go to Ghana. You know, the Ashantis were considered to be 
those who maintain many of the Hebrew culture, many of the Hebrew uh, customs, you know, even their concept of saying amen after the after certain things that they would, you know, after certain songs and things like that. And the Ashanti marry Ashanti. They they actually do um, intermarrying where cousins will marry each other because they they observe certain laws of cleanliness and purification and things like that. So they want to make sure that they keep that. And um, also in Ashanti, where they see, that's why Ashanti is so rich. They say that's where they first found gold in Ghana. They have their priests in Ashanti. They still wear the ancient Israelite breastplates. I've seen that. Where they they with the with the gems on it and everything, they're still rocking out. <laughs> but you know, again, if if the the language is controlled and the images are controlled, those images are important. They're so important. You know, you'll start to believe that you're not seeing what you're actually seeing. Like you ever you ever seen some of the images in wax museums? One of the things I noticed about the images in wax museums, a lot of times for certain people, they make their their skin lighter than it was originally. Believe it or not, it's a subtle whitewashing of certain history through imagery. They do that with cartoons as well. They're never quite as dark as they actually were. (laughs) You know, so these are these are things uh, that are important. And I I really feel like... uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this um, this case brings some of this stuff forward. All right, I'm going to play something real quick, man, in, in regards to what I was saying. It's very rough in terms of the content. So, if you, you know, if you don't want it, it's going to be some uh, in, uh, some cursing in it. But I'm going to play it real quick, and then I'm going to speak on it, and we're going to close out. Let, 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 let's get it on, bitch. That's what the fuck we want to do. Mm. Bitch, and after I beat you, I'm going to fuck you in your ass because you a bitch-ass nigga. That's what we do to you. Hey, I want to say for the record, I'm scared. Trying to get canceled, say the wrong thing. I know what we got going on. I love it. I'm trying not to get canceled. But this shit does bother me. Bro, with everything we've talked about, bro, I've never cared about I don't care what rapper got at me, bro. Ever. But, like, really, there's certain shit I've always... I really don't fuck with in my life, and I would never do. But, like, I gotta sit here and act like... I know I'm in, I'm in, I'm in America. I gotta sit here and just act like I don't fuck with certain shit. I would never like it. Yeah, so... That was a clip. You know, there was a... There was a discrepancy that was going on between um, DJ Academics and Saucy Santana from uh, City Girls. And it wasn't it wasn't a a big thing. But, you know, it turned into a back and forth and DJ Academics said, well, you know, you got a problem with me. Pull up. And Saucy Santana went off, went crazy and said, well, not only am I going to do that, but. After I beat you, as you heard, I'm going to F you in the A. And you hear the response from DJ Academics where he's literally crying. He's crying. You know, because of, like he said, man, I'm not trying to get canceled. You know, we live in a society now where, you know, this these type of attacks can come. He said, for the record, I'm scared. I'm actually scared and people are laughing and he wasn't, he wasn't joking. He started crying. You know, we live in a society now where certain people can say certain things. You know, I'm talking about the controlling of language and other people can't. If I was to say something like that to a woman who I was in conflict with, I'm going to beat you up. And then after I'm done beating you up, I'm going to enter into your A or your vagina. Not only would I be, canceled i'm pretty sure i'd probably have charges brought against me because that's sexual assault that's assault that um saucy santana just did and to give some background saucy santana is um someone who identifies as male but wears women's clothes clothing and makeup so you know for all intents and purposes this is a, a um a gay male 
Right. So just to give some some context when he said, I'm going to beat you up and I'm going to do this thing to you, you know, but he's allowed to say that no charges pressed. I couldn't say that as a heterosexual man. I couldn't say it to another heterosexual man. I couldn't say it to a woman. And I'm very positive I couldn't say it to a gay male. I'm going to beat you up and F you and your A. It would be very clear that this is assault. But this is the world that we live in now. And to the point that men who feel that hatred towards them. One of the most hated people in the world. You know, as Honorable Elijah Muhammad used to say is, you know, the man, the man and the man who the Quran has been revealed to. So that's basically not basically. It's like saying, you know, those who have knowledge are most hated. Those who know what's going on are going to be hated. And you hear this man crying about that. Like, man, I like, you know, and he said more. I, I cut it. But he was crying and saying, I'm. Now, with all this Bati man stuff, like I didn't come up with this. This is, you know, and in America, I can't say what I want to say. This is what he said. I can't say what I want to say. But these others can. You can call someone anti-Semitic without really any proof or backing and historically be off. But they, if they say any one thing against you, you figure out all these ways to damage them. Like, look what happened to Kanye West when he said, I don't like the business practices of these people. The bank said, we don't even want your money. He said, like, like, man, I got $450,000. They wouldn't let him deposit. We don't want it. <laughs> You're untouchable. You see. Man. So it's just a time that we live in. And like I said, I, I wanted to do this segment. I thought it was an important one. Um, because when I saw that, that, um, that delegation being brought forth. I know it's a sign of the times. I know what it is. I know what's happening right now. You know, just like the, the eruption, you know, over there, you know, and that scrambling and that fighting to rebuild the temple, which is what so much of this is about. And really, it, it, it will eventually willfully lead people to say, well, who really has a right to that place over there? What's the story? <laughs> and I think that's when it's going to get interesting on both sides. What's the story? But, you know, for um, the nation of Islam to want to support Palestine, that's completely understandable, should be completely acceptable because they're Muslims. Why wouldn't they support their Muslim brothers? That makes sense. You know, um, but we're told who to hate. We're told what side we're supposed to pick. And we're told what language we're allowed to use from what language we're not allowed to to use. You know, um, Dave Chappelle came under fire as well behind this because he was, you know, saying this is, you know, ridiculous that this this hurting and this killing on both sides. Dave Chappelle is a Muslim. Can he not express support and concern for his Muslimas and his Muslim brothers? No, can't. <laughs> because it's it's about who's controlling the language, you know. You're gonna say Africa, or you're gonna say Akibalan, and what does each one mean? You know, the language is important. When language was spoken about for many years, the implication of the word African or Africa was someone who was from Carthage, someone who was from Punt, someone who was from Timbuktu. Or Ghana, Nubia. We may not look at the word Africa like that today, but you have to understand well who's giving you these terms and then who's giving you the inferences for those terms and have you studied to understand things for yourself, to really understand these racial theories that are being put in front of you and how many of them have a religious foundation and a war that someone has waged against you that you may not be aware of. You see, there's so much to this, but I, you know, I'll pick some of this back up in the forward. I also wanted to speak to, you know, we lost, we didn't lose, but he transitioned Brother Panic. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Brother Panic. Some of you probably are. Some of you aren't. Um, But he was a a thought leader in the conscious uh, collective. 
And uh, he's someone I've known for many years. I knew him back when he lived in Queens. And um, he moved to Atlanta some years ago. And was still doing his thing. He wrote wrote a book. He, you know, very popular figure in the conscious circles and do, do lectures. And um, he really came into, I guess, more recognition. He was an old school platform, Blog Talk Radio. He was on there with um, Blue. And... Um, you know, he used to come on there and, and teach and things like that and really developed a a following as a result. Well, he, he just transitioned, you know. So even these transitionings, you know, mean something. Even these transitionings mean something. Believe it or not, they mean something, you know. So it's it's time now. It's time to practice morals over magic. It's time for people to learn you know, where they come from, how they come to be, and really humble themselves to what's required. Submission, I know, is what everyone hates, that idea, the word, the concept. You know, but those who are proud, you know, in appearance and proud in spirit, those are the ones who are falling out. You know, in order to be a part of the royal, the royal family is always proud in appearance, but because there's certain physical characteristics that usually will represent the entire nation when you look at like when you look at like uh Heli Selassie, you know, descendant of, of Menelik. Well you look at Heli Selassie, you know, you you see a lot of Ethiopian men. <laughs> you know, when you look at Empress Menin, you see a lot of Ethiopian women. You know, the representation of of what they bring, you know. So it's time for people to look at that tribe and look at where they're royally aligned to, you know, where they're royally aligned to and humble themselves to that because trying to blend in and to associate yourself with the people who are liars and thieves will only render you the the reward or the punishment due to a liar or a thief. You have to get on now. I've been saying it for a while now. Let's go say it again. And like I said, these things that are happening, like this lawsuit coming forth, what's happening right now, you know, in, in Palestine and, you know, the so-called state of Israel, this is all indicative of what people need to get ready to do now, you know. And when you understand that original, original Yehudim was scattered all over. And you start to understand the stories a little bit more and what's being said and the prophecies that are being fulfilled right now. We're, we're in prophecy time. It's, it's here. We're doing it. <laughs> you know, when you start to understand that, then you'll really start to understand there's an existence of, of, um, of original people who are now waking up to the truth. You have so many people claiming Israel now. True Israel. Understand what I say when I'm when I'm saying that, but train me, claim true Israel, not that place that they put in 1948. You know, but anyway, let me get off with that because, uh, yeah, <laughs> only a little bit at a time, right? Um, so yeah, before I go, just wanted to make everyone aware as well. Always, uh, as many of you know, I'm the leader of the Our New Life Global Ministries, not the leader, but the coordinator in chief. And anyone who's interested in joining, just go over to anulifeglobal.org, A-N-U-L-I-F-E-G-L-O-B-A-L.org. We are a community-centered, service-based uh, ministry, okay? Um, we are not a religious organization, but rather we are a cultural organization um, that teaches spirituality and culture and service and really getting back to a place where we are self-defining and self-determining and unified in what it is that we do, which is the most important thing of all, you know, the most important thing of all, you know, whether you call yourself a Hebrew or as the philosophy, the, the, the philosophers call themselves Haribu. You ever see that, that, that term Haribu, you see it all across the continent, Haribu. Think you probably think it's just oh it's just some more African word. <laughs> Haribu is a is a, another form of the word Hebrew. Haribu. H A R I B U. 
But regardless of what you, you know, you may call yourself, we're coming to a place where we have to acknowledge and respect the covenant that's been placed in front of us and own and respect that, that new covenant. You know, well, I don't use the term covenant because of the idiot that did some stuff, but respecting the covenant that the Most High has put in front of us to honor, you know, and to value, you know. So, if you want to be a part of that and that community and that experience and that learning Omni Life Global Ministries is where we're at. If you want to support the ministry in any way, you know, that you want, if you want to do monthly recurring support or if you want to do one time, you can always go over to the website again and go to the give link, anulifeglobalministries.org, give, and uh, you can show your support in that way if you would like as well. All right. So again, this has been Chief Yuya, and I want to give a, a send of love to Brother Panic as he's on his journey. He's on his way, you know, and um, for all of you, you know, continue to be um, enraptured in good counsel. Stay around good counsel. Stay around uh, good people and get closer to your tribe. Now is the time. Stop playing around. Don't wait until it's too late and those doors are locked in your face. Get with your tribe now so you can form that constitutional foundation, you know, with those who you agree with. That's the wisest option. That's the wisest option that you can do right now more than anything. Okay. And you you can also check out to one of the videos I put up recently where I spoke about preparedness from a different perspective. You know, from a, a more of a emotional and um, mental perspective on how we get ready for disaster and, and handle disaster preparedness beyond storing up ammunition and food and, and water. All right. So I urge you also check that out as well. You know, feel free to comment on the video and all of the sacred teachings that we're putting forth, you know. All right. So this is Chief Yuya. I'm out. And to such time, everyone be well and be safe. Peace.